those of you online, if you can take a minute and please share the stream. A quick 10-second evangelism. We can get the word out there to everybody who's not here and maybe some of your friends. Tag your dad, your uncle, your grandpa, your neighbor, your brother, your son. And uh, let's give them something that will inspire them this morning. <clears throat> so last week we talked about biblical manhood and what that kind of entails, right? So who can tell me what the difference is between a man and a dad? Anybody? Nobody? Nobody knows the difference between a man and a dad? No, it's the jokes, people. The dad jokes, right? Sorry, man and a dad, never mind. All right, so, <clears throat> excuse me. This morning, obviously, we're going to talk about biblical fatherhood and what that means, and, and we're going to explore a little bit of uh, what society says as well and do some comparison. But when you think of fathers, what's the first thing that comes to mind, right? You think of, oftentimes we think of either an older man, right? Because unless there's something I don't know, your father is probably older than you, right? So you think of an older man. Um, and then sometimes there's other features. Those could be good. They could be wise. They could be a sage. They could be um, positive influence in your life. Or it could be bad. They could be absent. They could be uh, abusive. Um, they could just be present as a lump and nothing more. So we all kind of have these different visions of what a father is in our life. Fortunately, if you're here today, I'm going on the assumption that you at least have an understanding of your Heavenly Father and what He is. The problem is a lot of times we associate our Father, our earthly Father, with how we see our Heavenly Father. So what we're going to try and do today for the men in the room is, is kind of help inspire you to become what you should be as a father. And for the ladies in the room, to show you what a father really should be, okay? Um, we're going to take this journey over about 40 minutes, maybe a little less, and then we're going to do some blessing and impartation at the end. Um, we have a few guys that are going to help out with that. So just be prepared and start preparing yourself and your heart for that as we move forward. So fatherhood in the media is portrayed really only one way, right? Usually it's a bumbling fool who has to acquiesce everything to the wife or sometimes their mother. <clears throat> if you think about the show Everybody Loves Raymond, which was a popular show for a long time, uh, Ray Barone, the father, is, is, is kind of indecisive. He, he acquiesces to either his mother or his wife on pretty much everything. Um, he's not a good example of, of what a father should be, and his father is just as bad. They're all afraid of, of Ray's mom, right? And it just becomes this strange dichotomy, which is what makes a good sitcom, right? It, it's, it's funny because it's satirical. It's interesting to see. The problem is that, that plants a seed in your mind of what fatherhood looks like. And it's not just everybody loves Raymond. The Simpsons is one of the longest running shows in TV history. And Homer if you've ever watched anything of it, is an idiot, at best. You know, sometimes he has these moments of brilliance, but 
they're very faint. And they last for about a half a second, and then it's off to the next thing. He's a weak uh, man. He's a weak father uh, for the most part, right? Every once in a while, there's something. They throw him a bone. Another one is Al Bundy from Married with Children. That was another popular show. And all of these things have driven the American psyche and how we see fathers in American culture, right? Outside of shows like Leave it to Beaver, which was not airing when I was born, right? There was, those were reruns. So if, if you're old enough to remember the original airing of Leave it to Beaver, everything has changed drastically in this country since then. You know, you have a father figure who's strong, knows what's happening, and is good. Since then, it's all kind of gone downhill. And there are several reasons for that, but we're not going to get too far into that. So today, we have a tendency to think of these negative pictures as what a father is. Not necessarily what a father should be, but what a father is, because that's what we're inundated with. One thing that we have to understand as men and fathers, um, and ladies, you have to understand this too, is that the male figure in that young man's or young girl's life is extremely important. It can't be washed away. It can't be replaced by government subsidies. You know, if, if you're familiar with the, you know, the way things have happened over the last 50 years in this country, in the 70s, we started a large welfare program. It had very good intentions, but unfortunately, it's been abused, and it's ended up replacing the father in many ways in the house in the United States. And we're seeing the negative repercussions of that via larger increases in prison populations for violent crimes, and the majority of those violent crimes are committed by young men who do not have a father in the home or a father figure. And if they do, they're weak. That's not to say that there aren't outliers, but it's a, it's a general uh, rule when you look at the statistics the vast majority of those incarcerated for violent crime at a younger age do not have a father in the home. We have to be there. Um, otherwise, that young man is not going to see what it means to be able to control your emotions and control the situation. If he doesn't have somebody in the home who can reflect that, he's going to go exactly where they normally go, right? which is Viking almost, right? They go from being a sweet little kid who just loves everybody to all of a sudden you have this raging teenage Viking on your hands that just wants to go out and break stuff because they don't understand how to control their emotions. And then that leads to other things, right? In the extreme, it can lead to rape and murder. And we see this in gang culture specifically, which preys on those who do not have fathers in the home. The absence of a father in the home also increases the likelihood of poverty by 90%. All things being equal prior to that, if the only difference is that there's no father in the home, the likelihood of those children growing up and becoming and, and living in poverty as an adult increases by 90%, which is amazing. I was shocked when I saw that. What about the girls? They don't understand how to relate to a man. They don't understand what a good father or a good man looks like if they don't have someone in their life who can fulfill that role. It doesn't necessarily have to be their biological father. We'll get into that in a minute. But they have to have somebody there. 
it becomes more difficult for her because she doesn't have that discernment to choose wisely. She ends up in a, the likelihood of her ending up in an abusive relationship is considerably greater when there's no man present in the home. So some of the forms that fatherhood can take in the physical are the biological father, if they're uh, there, if they're allowed to be there, um, an adopted father. We have a large population in the United States that is adopted, so their father figure in their life may not necessarily be their biological father. I know several people, uh, several couples who have adopted over the years, and it's been a great blessing to them and those children. Stepfathers. <coughs> well, in the case of remarriage, whether it's divorce or it's widow, right, the stepfather can step in and, <coughs> and fill those roles. It's important that we understand that and we acknowledge that. We have a, a divorce rate in the United States that's fairly high, <coughs> fairly high and oftentimes we don't we don't see the role of the stepfather as that important because they're not that kid's dad. I can tell you from seeing my friends growing up who had a stepfather that came in and was active in their life, the difference it made in them when that man came in versus before. It settles them down. That positive influence, especially on boys, right, settles their spirit and it creates a sense of security. It does the same for girls, but it manifests differently. If that's not an option, a grandfather or an uncle who can be a part of that child's life, they have to have some sort of positive male influence. Society tells you otherwise, right? There's a lot of uh, third and fourth wave fem feminism out there that wants to push the fact that we don't need men to do anything we're just as good. I'm sorry, that's not true. You need both a, a father figure and a mother figure in the life of that child. Without them, there will be serious repercussions. But what about a spiritual father? In the church, the spiritual father is as important or more important. Okay? The, the physical father is, is important for the developmental portions of that child's life but having a spiritual father. They can be the same, but they don't have to be the same. And you'll probably have many spiritual fathers and be a spiritual father to many over the course of your life. Depending on what stage of life you're in and depending on you know, where you're moving, you know, we've moved around a lot uh, over the course of uh, our life with the army and then here. Um, this is the longest I think either of us have lived in any place. Uh, and that's been... 15 years uh, next month. So if you're moving, that's fine. You'll, you'll connect with other people. You know, you'll connect with, with other people that you can be a spiritual father to, and you'll connect with other, other men that can be a spiritual father to you. The, the, the important thing is, is to seek out those relationships on both sides, to be the mentor and to be the mentee, right? To be the, the son or the daughter in that relationship. The traits of a physical father. 
So the text that we're going to use for most of this portion with the physical father is Ephesians 6, uh, specifically verse 4. <clears throat> so it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So we're going to kind of unpack this over the next few minutes. Okay, so Paul speaks about the fathers raising their children, right? In order to do that, you have to be involved and you have to be present. You can't be a couch surfing dad, right? You can't be in and out, you know, just for mealtime or bedtime. You have to actually engage those children. If you don't engage those children, you're not being a father, you're just there. And I know for a lot of us, myself included, there are times when that's all we want to do. And it's hard to take ourselves out of that and push and give to our kids. You've had a long week at work. It's Friday night. Man, you don't want to go and you don't want to take them out you know, and, and see their friends. You don't want to take them out for ice cream. The only thing you want to do is sleep. Maybe watch something and sleep. We've all been there to the point of exhaustion. And it's okay. But you have to physically put it into your brain that you have to spend time with them. And if you don't, the children will suffer. And you're the one that's going to be held accountable when judgment day comes. And until we learn that, the home is not going to work properly. The home is designed specifically for the man and the woman to parent those children. And if you're not actually present and involved, that's not going to work. So he's, Paul here specifically is, is talking just to the fathers. Why is he talking just to the fathers? In the next verse, he talks to the mothers, but he doesn't say the same thing, right? Here, he's talking just to the fathers. Why is he telling the fathers to bring up their children in the training of the Lord? Because it's not something that we generally do. We leave nurturing to the mother because that's their role, naturally, is to nurture, right? Men generally go out and kill people and break things. That's what we're designed to do. We're designed to hunt, we're designed to provide, we're designed to protect. Nurture is not really in there. Yet somehow, we have to figure that out. And the only way that we can do that effectively is by yielding to the Spirit. So again, it's one of those things that we have to turn over. Like last week, we were talking about turning your life over to the Spirit and giving Him the opportunity to speak into your life and to work through you. The same principle is applied here. You have to be nourishing so that, that to bring up, where it specifically says in verse 4, bring up, there's a Greek word that's used there. It's called extra feet. Not extra feet, extra feet, right? When I said it, one of my kids looked at me and started chuckling. So what it means is to nourish, right? or to bring to, nourish to maturity. It doesn't mean bring, so when you, when, like what does bring up mean, right? And the, this is part of the problem with the English language. The English language oftentimes is just kind of like, meh. It's very flat. So that's why we go back to things like the Greek and we look at it and we see what they're meaning by that. And in this case, it's literally to nurture, to take into maturity, to guide, to mentor, to bring along. Last week we talked about the apprenticeship, right? That's what you're doing. You're making your child your apprentice. And you're bringing them through life with you and teaching them those tasks along the way. This doesn't stop at 18 when they graduate from high school. We like to think that. It doesn't stop there, though. 
Does it, Hank? Your son's, what, 23, and you're still parenting him, right? Okay, it happens. I'm 42. Yeah, 42. And my parents still try to do this to me. Sometimes I let them. Sometimes I don't. It just depends on what we're talking about, right? But it's one of those things that it's, this is a lifetime commitment. It's not, you know, 18 and you're out of the house. I mean, maybe it is, but it's not, you know, that's not where you stop. The relationship doesn't end there. So one of the things that we need to look at is what informs Paul's theory here? What informs his decision? So Paul's a Pharisee, right? And, and he calls himself the Pharisee of Pharisees. So what he's referencing, near as I, as I can tell, is Deuteronomy 6-7. This is right after the Ten Commandments have been given, right? And he says, he's referring to the Ten Commandments here. He says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. This is what Moses is saying. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. It's that mentoring process. Paul's frame of reference is the Mosaic commentary on the Ten Commandments and how you're supposed to raise your kids. So he's bringing that forward. We have to spend time with our children. If we don't spend time with our children, they're growing up wild, right? We don't have the opportunity to do things with them, give them a sense that we're there, that sense of security. We're there to help them and guide them. And then when a teachable moment arises, like your kid is trying to get something out of the vending machine and it's not coming out and he wants to break it and tip it over, how you handle that? You come alongside them and you guide them through the process to finish their transaction, right? The same is true, you know, when that little boy, I, I work a lot with, with boys, so I use that analogy a lot, but I've had the same issues, issue with my daughter where they get frustrated because something's not working right, right? You can sit there and let them get frustrated and stew in that, but that's not good for them. Or you can come alongside them and you can show them how to complete that task or how to manage those emotions. Think about it like this. Is anybody in here a plumber? Nobody in here is a plumber? Okay, perfect. When, when something goes wrong in your plumbing, what do you do? You call an expert, right? Where did that person learn to fix the drain or change, the, change out your copper piping and brazing and doing these sorts of things, right? Didn't, they weren't just endowed with it magically. They had to go through a process of learning. Somebody had to guide them through that process. That's your job is to guide them through the process of life from beginning until you're no longer able to fulfill that function. If we don't do that and we don't spend the time with them to do that, it's not going to be good for them. And the whole purpose of, I'm getting slightly ahead of myself, the whole purpose of us bringing those kids into uh, existence is to glorify God. So now that I've already, already gone there, we'll do that one real quick. So biblical fatherhood is a direct reflection of the process that God uses to raise us. He does the same thing with us. You see it with David, right? David's going along, everything's good. Suddenly, hey, there's Bathsheba. This is a great idea, let's go do this. He makes his mistake, God comes in through Nathan, 
and he says, hey, listen, you screwed up. This is what you did wrong. And he gives him a correction, right? David takes that correction. He doesn't necessarily like the punishment that comes along with it because the child dies, but he accepts it. He moves on after that. We have to be present just as God is present in our lives. This whole process is intentional. If we're not intentional about it and we don't plan things out, you know, it doesn't mean you have to plan everything, but we don't plan some things out ahead of time, like activities that we can do that help them to hone their skills or uh, understand that they're not really afraid of heights, they just haven't done it before. So an example of that is a zip line, right? Or an air course. How many of you guys have seen the air courses that are around here? We got several around. Nobody? You should go check it out. It's really, it's really interesting, okay? Uh, even if you're just there and you watch uh, people doing it, if you don't get involved, but still, it, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people think that they have a problem with heights. Part of it is they're just not used to that, right? Change is tough. Trying new things is tough. If you don't help them in that, they're not going to evolve and expand as a person, right? They're going to end up as a child their entire life. So you get a man-child or a woman-child who's 35 or 40 years old, their life is a wreck and they don't understand why because nobody helped them learn how to manage it. They don't know how to manage their emotions. They're all over the place. They don't know how to manage finances. That's a big one. If you do nothing else with your children, teach them how to manage their money and that will help them immensely. Yeah, some, some people know the heartache of that, right? And how, and how problematic that can be in your life. So we have to be super intentional with our time with our children and our actions with our children. We also have to set an example. We are called to disciple them. In order for us to disciple them, we have to be a disciple of Christ. Okay? So what does that mean? That means you have to let them see you pray. Pray with them. You have to let them see you read your Bible. Read with them. You have to let them see you serve. Here's a great place. We have a lot of openings. Okay? We could use help. But you have to let them see you serve others. Serve the church. Serve God. Because if they don't see that reflection, they're not going to do it themselves. The other thing, men is you have to respect their mother. Regardless of the way your relationship is with that woman, you have to respect their mother. Because if you don't, they won't. Especially the boys. Okay, they will take their cues from you. Same goes the other way. Ladies, you have to respect that man. Regardless of what they've done, right? On both sides. Regardless of bad blood, if you can keep your relationship civil, and you can move forward with it, it will immensely uh, help those children as they go through life. So the, the physical father is very important, but the spiritual father, I think, is as important, if not more. And the reason for that is because that has to deal with eternity. The rest of it you know, deals with life on earth, but the eternal portion is more important. So we're going to spend a little bit more time on that. So what is a spiritual father? It's a man rooted in faith 
who is following the command that Jesus gave the disciples in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Last week we looked at the Great Commission from Mark 16. This week we're going to look at it from Matthew 28. So it says in verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am always, excuse me, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay? Make disciples is the key part there for today. You have these little things with you, right? Whether they're in the church and you're in children's ministry or you're a greeting or whatever, you have to be an example to them. If you're not a disciple yourself, you can't disciple them. And then you turn around here and become a spiritual father to them. Even if you don't have children of your own right now, maybe you will later, maybe you won't. But there's always somebody that needs a spiritual father and has that need. They might have the greatest dad in the world. Their dad could be Bill Gates. He might have all the money in the world. That doesn't necessarily make him a good dad. Elon Musk, I don't know how many kids he has at this point, several with a couple different girls, but, and he's got tons of money, right? But that doesn't make him a good dad. That makes him an ATM, right? That doesn't make him a good dad. Some examples of spiritual fathers that we see in Scripture, we have Paul with both Timothy and Titus. He refers to both of them as his spiritual sons. We have Peter referring to Mark as his spiritual son. We have a few examples. We don't have a ton of examples because not everybody wrote uh, stuff that made it into the canon. However, we have a few that we can draw from. So both Peter and Paul, these are their protégés, right? They're referring to them as their spiritual sons. They spend an inordinate amount of time with them, right? Timothy, at one point, is hanging around with Paul so much that, that they actually travel together a good portion of the known Roman world at the time. And I don't like traveling today. I can't imagine traveling at that time, either by foot or by cart or by, well, a donkey, but I was thinking more about, you know, like uh, an early form of a sailing vessel. You know, I don't even like getting on a cruise ship most of the time, let alone a little tiny boat in a storm. You know, that's not my thing. That's why I joined the army. <laughs> you laugh, it's true. <clears throat> so what are some of the traits of a spiritual father? There isn't, there isn't anything there. You know, there's nothing. There's no chapter out there that says specifically a spiritual father should be boom, 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 boom. So what we're going to use as our criteria is we're going to use that of an overseer, a deacon, or an elder. And this is taken out of uh, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. They mirror each other. They're not exact, but they mirror each other on many things. So where they overlap is what we're going to discuss today. So the first thing is you got to be a seasoned believer if you want to be a spiritual father, right? You can't be a new convert. And uh, that's brought out in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, where he says he must not be a recent convert. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Okay, so what does that mean, though? You know, what is recent? To some of us, recent is 10 years ago. To some of us, recent is five minutes ago. So if we go into the, the Titus portion of this in verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, there's some key words there. Holy and disciplined. Has been taught. So they've had some time 
right, where they've been taught, they've had the, the time to develop being holy and disciplined in what they do, and they understand sound doctrine. That takes time. So for, we're not going to put out a timeline, but, you know, if it's one of those things where you're saved at the altar today, you're not going to run out tomorrow and become a spiritual father. You just don't have the depth of knowledge. You don't have the depth of experience to do that, right? You're going to be running through trials, which is why what, what happens a lot of times when you see people who are recently saved, they burn out really quick if they want to get into evangelism right away, right? Because they don't have the depth and they're, they're not relying on the, they don't understand how to rely on the Holy Spirit enough to carry them through. It has to be developed. They also have to be above reproach. So this is an odd word for us, right? What does that mean, above reproach? Can you be below reproach? I, you know, what does that mean? So we're going to look at that a little bit more. Some of the language that's used here in, uh, in 1 Timothy 3, it says to be above reproach, and then it goes on to say he's temperate and respectful, self-controlled. In Titus, he uses the term blameless a couple of times. And then he says one who loves what is good and one who is upright. Those are terms of honor, right? Has good moral standing to be uh, a person that's, you know, I mean, as, as right, not really as righteous, but to be righteous as much as one can be. If somebody has the ability to say this or that about that person, that doesn't, that's reproach, right? That means that there's reproach against them. They're not necessarily blameless. He has to be faithful to his wife. Now, this is assuming that he's married, okay? He has to be faithful to his wife. And what this means is one wife right now, okay? Um, when Paul is laying this out, he's talking about the here and now. He's not talking about before you were saved and uh, the relationship that you had there. He's not talking about... Um, Somebody who runs around, right? He's not talking about mistresses aplenty. He's not talking about polygamy or bigamy or anything like that. Polyamorousness that has suddenly sprouted in America over the last few years, right? Where you have strange relationships that are three, four, five, six ways all around. Who knows what's going on? You need a flow chart to keep track of, okay? That's not what he's referring to. He's referring to a singular relationship that that man has with his spouse, not with anybody else. He's not seeing anybody else. There's nothing on the side, right, that's between him and her. And then he must be worthy of respect. That's in how he treats her, in how that relationship uh, presents itself to others, to those who know them. Do they just play the game when they're at church, or is it actually a lifestyle for them? That, that same sentiment is mirrored in Titus. If you're not married, it's being faithful to yourself, right? Corinthians is all about Christians gone wild, like, like Pastor Kevin likes to say, right? So if you're not, if you're, if you're committing sexual sin against yourself in multiple partners, in, you know, crazy things like whatever, bestiality and all this other stuff, that's sinning against yourself and that's not being true to yourself. If you're single, that's your portion here. That's your command here is to be true to yourself, faithful to yourself. Uh, they must be mature. 
a mature parental influence. There are people out there who don't have kids that are very parental, right? We have a few in here who people flock to, right? I'm not going to name them. I don't want to give them any undue attention. But you can see it. You have people who have that nature, that motherly nature or that fatherly nature, and people flock to them for that because they want a piece of that. They, they're missing that in their life, and they want to get a part of that, and they want to feel a part of that. Excuse me. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 4, it says he manages his family well, right? Whether you whether you're, uh, have kids or not, do you manage your family? And what that means, you know, we all have crazy stuff that happens, right? You know, things happen, accidents happen, you know, sin is there, and, and we, all can, we all still sin. But are you managing your family in a godly way. If, if your child does something, you know, are you flying off the handle, Adam? We talked about this a little bit last week. Or are you being gentle with them? So we're going to bring in some of last week with the biblical manhood, right? Are you going to be gentle with them, kind with them? Or are you going to just admonish them in the streets in front of everybody, right? That's not how you handle that. And that's not being a mature parental influence. Hospitable. Hospitality today is kind of construed into um, super servitude a lot of times, right? Um, and then we think, when we think of hospitality, we think of things like hotels that are very service-oriented, right? A good concierge, um, all these events that you can go to. When you walk in there, you see the whole board of flyers and stuff. We think of that as hospitality. That's not really what hospitality is. Hospitality is being kind one to another, being gracious, helping them, right? Serving them, but not at the expense of yourself or others. You're serving them so that they can see the Father, right? A good one, uh, a good example of this is when we have home groups and somebody hosts a home group and they open up their home. That's being hospitable, and they're nice about it. They're not grudgingly doing it. They're doing it because they want to, because they want to help people, and they want to help reach people. That's hospitality. Not a drunkard. Okay. So this is not just alcohol, right? What it specifically says uh, in 1 Timothy 3, 3 is not given to drunkenness. The exact same wording is used in Titus 1.7. But this isn't just alcohol. We're talking about other things. Do you, are you addicted? That's really what, what, the, what the core here is, is. It's about addiction. And are you addicted to wine or strong drink, they say? Are you addicted to pills or any other kind of drug, over-the-counter, uh, street, or prescription? Are you addicted to things like gambling or porn? That's all part of it. They're specifically talking about alcohol when you look at this, but there's a much wider array of things here that you need to look at. Not being a drunkard is just one example. The rest of it comes along with it too. If you're addicted to all of that stuff or any of that stuff, you're putting a barrier between you and the Holy Spirit and you and the Father. And you can't mirror biblical fatherhood to, your, to the children or spiritual fatherhood 
to the people if you have those blockages in your life. Not quarrelsome or seeking disagreement. So we all know those people, right, who are just, as soon as you say something, they're, they're ready, right? They got to come back. They're ready to do something. They're ready to fight. You can't be like that. If you want to be a spiritual father, there's going to be some things that rub you raw and, and leave a bad taste in your mouth. You have to be ready. If you're going to mentor anybody in anything, they're going to screw up. They're going to make mistakes. That's the whole reason for the process is so that you can work them through that. It works. It happens with your kids all the time. It happens in relationships, whether you're in the office or you're um, on the street. Some people just, just don't want to be helped. Some people just don't want, yeah, some people just don't want to receive that kind of thing. You can't be quarrelsome with them and immediately move into a fight, right? Some of the words that are used here are things like temperate, self-controlled, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not violent again. Paul is putting forth good traits that have to be cultivated. Some of these you might have naturally, but you're not going to have all of them, right? We have to be intentional about this, just like we are with our own children. We have to be intentional about making ourselves transform to the image of God. We do that by relying on the Holy Spirit and pushing through these things. I'll tell you, um, this week in our house has been rough. The last two weeks, really. Um, my, my work schedule has been changing there's a lot of stuff going on, and then we've had some spiritual attacks. It's very easy to shut down and move the other way. But you have to confront things when they come up. If you don't, they're going to fester, and you have to push through that. It takes a decision on your part, a, a specific decision to move forward in that and push through it. If you're not doing that, you need to ask for strength to do that. This message was super hard for me to put together for some reason. It shouldn't have been, because I had it mostly planned out. But it's just stuff kept coming up and chipping away at time, right? And I was telling my wife the other day, you know, there were things that came up in, in my life that, I hadn't, that hadn't been a part of me for a long time. And suddenly there's temptations for this or that. Are you kidding me? This that we're talking about today is, is important enough for the enemy to say, hey, well, I'm going to try and sabotage this. We have to be intentional in everything that we do as men, as fathers. We have to say, no, that's not going to happen. You have to look at the devil in the face sometimes and say no. And when you don't do that, things start to fall apart. And the repercussions are so much worse Right? One of the things that Pastor Kevin talks about all the time is it takes, like, what, 20 minutes to screw up your life and five years to clean it up? A little bit now is worth way more in prevention than it is on the backside in recovery. Spend the time now. Get in to the Word. Push through these things. Look, well, Shelly has the notes. We can make these available for anybody that wants them. Okay, um, I encourage you, men, fathers, spiritual fathers, push through 
this kind of stuff. Understand, sit down and learn what you need to do. If you don't be that, if you're not that example for your kids or for those around you, there's a strong possibility that it's going to be detrimental to them in the end. There are things that we don't see oftentimes that are occurring. Um, we have to be sensitive enough to feel a shift in the spirit and know when that's happening. I encourage you to get with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. And like Paul says, you have to be in an attitude of prayer continuously. That will help you to understand the situation. You can try to rely on yourself as much as you want, but it doesn't work. It might work once in a while. You might, you might get lucky. A broken clock is right twice a day, right? But if you don't have that reliance, if you're not pushing through, if you're not studying and you're not learning what it is that you need to do and the traits that you need to, to portray and, and take into your life, it, it, it's going to be a mess when the enemy attacks because you're not going to be able to act in a defensive manner. Right? We talked about that a little bit last week. So this is what we're going to do right now. I have a, uh, a few guys who are going to come up. And we're going to do some impartation um, for fatherhood. Okay, This is for both um, spiritual fathers and natural fathers. So you guys can come on up. Okay, Jody, uh, wherever you are. If you can come on up for the keys. Oh, there you are. Okay. So these guys are going to offer uh, a blessing to you to start with, um, specifically for the men. The We're going to kind of play it by ear a little bit. We'll see what God wants to do. But we're going to start with this. So any man that wants a blessing of fatherhood, whether it be spiritual fatherhood or it be natural, come on up. Let's get some, let's get some prayer for you. We'll do some impartation, and then we'll move uh, on to the next thing, okay? Now's the time. Don't wait.